So a couple resources, uh, The Excellent Wife, Martha Peace, uh, for ladies, this uh, great resource. Uh, the uh, complimentary book, The Exemplary Husband, Stuart Scott. Uh, these are like, these are sort of like the standards for biblical counseling. If you end up in marriage counseling, you're probably going to end up reading these books. So I recommend you read them before you end up in counseling. Okay, so uh, read, apply, do, repeat, right? Uh, just so uh, these are these are great great resources. So and I did we they both have sections on communication. That's why I'm recommending them this morning because we're continuing on with our communication. And the next one, strengthening your marriage. I know we've recommended this one in here before. Wayne Mack, uh, just a great resource. It also has a big it has a long section on communication in here too. So if the, if you're interested in looking at more stuff communication, all three of these books are great, but they're great on their own for all kinds of other reasons. Um, lastly, uh, competent counsel, um, competent counsel.org is Lou Priolo's site. I know we've mentioned that before too, but he has, he has a few audios on communication that you can just listen to while you're doing whatever you're doing. So, um, really good resource as well. And, uh, and of course, if you go to biblicalcounseling.com and just do a search for communication, you're going to get all kinds of stuff to read, and this is solid stuff from all different perspectives. And um, of course, if you want to search for any topic, I think that's a great resource just to go do the search, and you're going to find lots of good stuff to uh, read there. So we've been going through some aspects of communication in general in this class. Of course, we've been talking about communication for weeks now. Uh, we started with biblical reasons that communication is important within the church and in general and as believers and as we are ministering to one another. Uh, then we did an overview of what Scripture says about communication. Of course, we sort of planted for most of that time in Proverbs because Proverbs has so much to say about our communication, both in what we say and in listening also. Then we did a couple of weeks of listening and uh, just focusing on just those things. And then Ron taught on Priscilla and Aquila and how their communication was a benefit to the early church and by extension to us as we look as, at how they were interacting in the church and how they were a blessing to the church and how we can imitate that as well. But this morning we're going to talk more directly about communication within marriage. And of course, you know, as I've said lots of times in this class, and in the young marrieds have heard it lots of times, uh, that you know, a lot of times the ways we fall down in marriage is not that we aren't fulfilling our roles or doing what we're supposed to be doing in as husbands or as wives, particularly, but we fall down and we and problems are created because we don't live as believers. We're not living according to the word. And so consequently, problems arise. And so as we're talking about communication, of course, these things are general principles that can be, I mean, it's God's word. <laughs> so they can be applied all over the place. But I'd like you guys to be particularly thinking about how we can apply these things in our marriages. And I'm going to apply some of them directly to uh, being a husband or being a wife. But consider, you know, consider the communication principles overall and implement them, of course, in a general way to everybody, but most particularly how you relate to your husband or your wife. So uh, we're going to do the, the marriage stuff this week. I'm probably going to hit on parent-to-child communication next week, and then probably going to do a week on conflict resolution, and then we got a couple weeks off at the end of the year. And then we'll start a new series, which I don't even remember what we decided we are going to do. So uh, we're going to start something new uh, in the new year. Um, 
So we're not having class on the 24th or the 31st, so keep that in mind as well. Uh, and I mentioned that we're going to be doing parent-child uh, communication next week. So if you don't have kids, please don't tune out, okay? I mean, please attend and listen because I am fully convinced that the convictions and the, uh, the decisions that you're going to make and the things that you're going to come to about training your kids up, they are learned better before the kids come than they are when the kids are here. Okay, so if you don't have kids yet, please don't say, well, it's not for me. Uh, it's definitely for you uh, if you are planning on having kids or may possibly have kids, which is everybody sometime in the future. So, so why do we choose to spend several weeks on communication in a young married and family class in the first place? Well, uh, Wayne Mack, in Strengthening Your Marriage, he quotes Dwight Hervey Small, which I don't know who that is, but he quotes him, he says, the, her- the heart of marriage is its communication system. It can be said that the success and happiness of any married pair is measurable in terms of the deepening dialogue which characterizes their union. So of course, so what he's essentially saying is your marriage can be essentially rated by how well your communication is in your marriage. Wayne Mack himself says, wherever you find a marital failure, you will find a breakdown in real communication. Wherever you find marital success, you will find a good communication system. It is a defining factor of our marriages, is our communication. Stuart Scott, in The Exemplary Husband, says, One of the biggest obstacles to a good marriage is poor communication. We could even say that a marriage relationship is only as good as a couple's ability to send and receive the right message. Now, remember when we talked, when I started this whole, when we started this whole thing off, we talked about, at least the first time I taught, uh, I don't remember who started this thing, <laughs> uh, but uh, first time I taught, I was talking about Wayne Max. He may have had a, a definition of communication, and essentially what it was is that we are, it's not just talking, it's not just listening, it is getting the right message from the person who is talking and understanding it the way the person who is talking intended it. So it's not just hearing and talking, it's making sure we're getting it right. And there's, so there's much more to it. And it's much more labor than we often would like it to be, right? It's, it's actually work to listen. It's actually work to consider how we are saying things so that we're saying them so that they will be received well. And to do that on top of that, which we're going to end up talking about today, with grace and to edify the other person always. So without good communication, husbands can't lead in love effectively. So all the things that Chris talked about this morning in church, we, or if you're going to go to church, you're going to hear him say it, uh, all those things, we can't do those effectively without good communication. Wives can't help mate well. They can't be their husband's partner well without good communication. Parents can't teach and train their children without good communication. And of course, we can't work through issues and we can't resolve conflicts without good communication. So that's why we're going to plant on conflict resolution for one Sunday in a couple of weeks. And of course, a lot of conflicts are caused or they are due to a lack of good communication. That's how the conflict occurs in the first place. So we want to avoid those things if we can. So as we've already heard in the past several weeks, the scripture has a lot to say about communication. Lou Priolo, who sadly went to be with the Lord this past Tuesday, and I found that out actually is doing a search for something from Lou Priola, one of those, I wanted to do one of those little quizzes, you know, they're, so, they're a lot of fun to do and 
they're convicting too. So, but I, I was looking for those. I just did a search for Lou Priel, and it came up that he had passed away on Tuesday. So, uh, I knew he had gone to the hospital, but I hadn't heard that he had passed away. Anyway, Lou Priello found there are 45 imperatives or commands just in the New Testament epistles regarding how to communicate, how we are supposed to be communicate in a godly way. And that's just in the epistles. This doesn't include all the stuff that it says in Proverbs, all the stuff that Jesus said about communication, and it doesn't include any of the examples that we see throughout Scripture. So if you take all those together, we actually have hundreds of verses that address communication in some way by word or example. Um, as, I uh, as I believe I mentioned early on in this series, it's easy for a husband and a wife to get busy, to get occupied, to have a lot going on with the day-to-day -day concerns of having a home and having jobs and uh, cars, extended family and in-laws and, and all the things that go on in the family that we get busy and tied up with those things and we lose track of the fact that we are supposed to be developing patterns of communication that are full of grace and edifying, and instead we start communicating in a way that's less than loving and tender. So it's just easy to fall into that rut. So that's why we're, that's part of the reason we're talking about that, in, or talking about this in the class. Husbands and wives sometimes get in a habit of reacting defensively and assuming ill motives of their spouses. Uh, expectations, we, bring, we all bring expectations into our marriage, and when those are those come into conflict sometimes. Uh, it's easy to, to have a clash uh, and then result to self-preserving harsh speech or unwholesome words. And so it's, it's just very easy to fall into these ruts. And it's so that's why we, we need to be thinking about our communication, not just assuming that we're going to be able to communicate because we live in the home together. We need to actually, it's something we actually need to think about intentionally and work at. Couples can get off course, forgetting that the words they say are supposed to be for building up and the benefit and blessing of others. Sometimes we forget that the words we say are not just so other people can hear us. The words we say are supposed to be building up those we're talking to. When Ephesians 4.29 tells us to speak, to edify, and to give grace to those who hear, that's the point of our speech. We're supposed to be speaking in order to edify others. So, as I know the concepts we've been reviewing in this communication series so far, and those that I'm going to address this morning are possibly not new to you, I do maintain that uh, none of us communicates perfectly or even well all of the time. So whether you've heard these things or not, you know, ultimately it's not in knowing that's good, it's applying that is good. So you know, we can know these things and we may have heard them, we may be familiar with them, but if we're not thinking it through and actually applying them, it does us no good. So it's good to review these things anyway. And when you leave here to test that, it might be good to ask your spouse, how well are you applying the word in all of these areas? Because you might end up with some renewed zeal for improving in these areas if you ask the question, right? So, we use our tongues, the way we use our tongues is of huge significance. The use of the tongue is even indicative of our heart's condition. It's a regular indicator of one's ability to control himself. So now let's go to James 3. 
starting in verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. So clearly, the tongue is an extremely useful part of the body. However, the tongue is also a volatile and dangerous part of the body. So let's keep reading. James, uh, second part of verse 5. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. So we have a huge responsibility as those who bear Christ's name to use our words carefully. Words can crush and pierce people. They are extremely dangerous. We can cause wounds that never heal um, using the wrong words. The words that we say can cause wounds that are never going to heal. And often the dumb, hurtful things we say aren't even all that intentional. It's because we're being careless. We're careless rather than careful about what we say. And sometimes our talking is completely divorced from our thinking. And that's when we say, that's a lot of times when we say the dumb things that we say. Sometimes that's when we say the very hurtful things that we say because we just are not thinking before we talk. Unfortunately, there aren't any excuses. We don't get let off the hook because we didn't think before we talked. We don't get let off the hook because we reacted and we said something off the cuff. Um, God has given every man a conscience. Believers have the conviction of the Holy Spirit and His Word is plain regarding how we should communicate. Back to Ephesians 4.29, as we've mentioned in this class many times. It's overarching regarding all of our communication. Let no unwholesome word, or unwholesome meaning rotten, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. So we're hearing some emphatic words there, right? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth and only such a word as is good for edification. So that's our purpose, is to not, not say rotten stuff and to say those things that are going to give grace and they're going to edify others. We're accountable for every word we speak and God hears it all. There's no word that escapes His notice. If you go to Matthew 12, 36 and 37... But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Every careless word, not just the ones that we've thought of a big long thing to say to somebody because we don't like them and we're going to let them have it. All the stupid careless things we say, we're going to give account, we're accountable for. 
Someone described careless words as idle, lazy, and useless. Lazy is really the one that sticks out to me because that's what careless is, right? We're not, we're not concerned with what we're saying. We're, just, we're, lazy, we're not thinking it through. We're, we're lazy enough that we're not thinking through what we're saying. Careless words are, are what come out when we aren't being thoughtful and intentional. Intentionality requires effort. It's work to be intentional about the things that we say. It's easy to say stuff we shouldn't when we are being lazy and not cultivating our thoughts. When we're not dwelling on those things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely, of good repute, excellent and worthy of praise, as we can read in Philippians 4, when we're not dwelling on those things, that's when we're going to say things that we ought not to say. If we are dwelling on those things, the likelihood of things coming out of our mouth that ought not to be coming out is seriously diminished. Really, Scripture exhorts us to be workers in every way when you think about it. All you got to do is sit through a Chris sermon once in a while or every week just about. We hear about how we're supposed to be working hard to be believers, right? To, to represent Christ in the world around us. So we are called in Scripture to be workers. The Christian life is one of being mindful of our responsibility to please and glorify God in everything, as 1 Corinthians 10, 31-33 tells us. We're told to eat, drink, and do everything else we do to God's glory. So there's nothing left out of it. Everything is what we're supposed to be doing to God's glory. This includes being careful rather than careless about the words that we use. So when do we say careless words? Why do they come out as not pleasing to the Lord? Well, I already sort of implied it, but sinful and not sinful, non-edifying, non-gracious words come from our fleshly thoughts and motives. They, but they're proceeding from the heart. They're proceeding from what's inside. That's what comes out, the inner man. Jesus said in Matthew 15, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. So those are the things that are coming out. I mean, it's, it's, that's what I was saying in the beginning, is that it's an indicator of who we are as believers, the words that we say, because what's coming out is what's inside. Remember, the heart isn't just the thing that's beating in our chest. The heart refers to the whole inner man. It's our choices, it's our desires, it's our emotions. It's everything inside us that, that, that's being displayed in the things that we say and the things that we do as well. Lupriolo uses the, a, a pitcher and spout mental picture for this. So if you have a, a pitcher of water, I, I never have anything to draw on here. So you have a pitcher of water, and if that thing's full of orange juice, what's coming out the spout? Or, orange juice is coming out the spout, right? And what's, if it's water, what's coming out? Water is coming out, right? If it's polluted water, what's coming out? <laughs> polluted water, right? So whatever, that's, we have a reservoir within us. Now, if that reservoir is not cultivated by being in God's Word and considering how to apply it and thinking on all those things that He tells us to dwell on, then the likelihood is our fleshly desires are what's going to be there, and that's what's going to be pouring out as we're talking. So we need to be cultivating a heart that's pleasing to God. Stuart Scott in The Exemplary Husband says, A man who communicates in a way that displeases God should not think that he is a godly man. Your communication will reveal the kind of man you really are because what comes out of your mouth is usually what's in your heart. If you truly desire to exemplify Christ, you will seek to become a good communicator. So communicating well 
communicating to the glory of God requires us to have a heart that pleases God. And that requires work, and that requires diligence, and that requires us to be intentional. So what are some of the temptations to speaking sinfully? Well, isn't it true that we often say things we ought not to say because we are reacting to something our spouse has done or said, and we have interpreted that action or that thing that they said with an assumption that it was unkind or unthoughtful or selfish on the other person's part? So we make the assumption that they're being nasty, right? And so we're nasty back. Uh, Or we just don't like what they said, and so we react. Remember I talked last time, or maybe sometime in the past, about reacting and responding, just thinking it's helpful for me to think that way. If we're reacting, it's knee-jerk, and it's it's more likely going to be sinful. I mean, I I guess I shouldn't say that, but it's more likely to be sinful than if it's an actual response. Just thinking react and response. If it's a response, it's thoughtful. We've we've thought about it. We've considered it. It's intentional. If it's a reaction, it's mostly going to be unintentional, and it's going to be knee-jerk, and there's a lot higher likelihood it's not going to be pleasing to God or beneficial to the other person. We need to be quick to assume the best spin on whatever our spouse does, believing that we may have received it the wrong way. We're more likely to sin when our words are rash or reaction. That's what the, a rash is a reactionary uh, response. So Proverbs 12, 18, there's one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And this, isn't that a great visual? The one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword. Because when we're reacting, we're trying to get a dig, right? We're, a lot of times that's what we're trying. We're trying to hurt them back because we felt like they hurt us. Or the, they weren't nice to us, so we're going to be not nice back to them. We're going to stick them with the words that we, we can give back at them. What does this tell us? Rash words can really wound. What are rash words? are the dumb things we say without thinking first. Our flesh is capable of getting us into all kinds of trouble with our mouths without us having to give it any thought at all. We can get into a lot of trouble without having to think about it at all. And then we have to deal with the consequences afterwards. Our unchecked, flesh-influenced emotions can wound our spouse in a flash. So what's the fix for these fleshly thoughts and motivations? Well, hopefully it's not anything new to this class, uh, but it's going to be Scripture renews the heart and the mind. Meditating on it, considering its application, memorizing the portions that speak to whatever one's particular sin is. We don't get anywhere with our spouses with sinful responses, do we? Our reaction sometimes tempts them and they react and so on. So when we react, we're tempting them to do the same. And then that's how these conflicts begin, right? One person says something, the other person reacts, then the other person reacts, and then you end up in a, in a battle. Um, or you end up in a heated discussion, or whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Um, But you end up having to work through things at that point. It's more likely our spouse will be attentive to what we say when our words are sweet. Proverbs 16, 21. The wise in heart will be called understanding, and sweetness of speech, or the lips, increases persuasiveness, or or learning, could mean learning. So the wise in heart will be called understanding, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. So that's very truism. I mean, it's easy to understand that, right? That that when we 
speak sweetly, it's going to be more persuasive, right? Um, now, every once in a while, it's good to read how the other side thinks, right? So I read Martha Peace's... Part of my study was reading The Excellent Wife. And you find some interesting things when you read ladies' books when you're a guy. Um, that was part of my reading for this lesson. Now, she's instructing her female readers regarding sweetness of speech. And she says, men, listen up, because it's to the ladies. So listen up. <clears throat> In fact, this is, what, this is her quote. In fact, it is difficult for most husbands not to give in to their wives' requests when there is sweetness of speech. That's probably true. Um, I mean, Martha Peace wrote it. It's got to be true, right? But then she goes on to say, and I noted that my wife actually, in that paragraph, she made a note to the side and said, I'm not sure I really like exactly how she put that or something like that. It was actually the next sentence that was a little more of a uh, reaction for her. But, um, but she goes on to say to the ladies who are supposed to be the ones reading her book, not me, the test of your motive will be how you respond if you do not get your way. So speaking sweetly because you want something, your husband is less likely to decline that if you're speaking sweetly. In fact, most husbands can't decline that if you're speaking sweetly and what she said. Uh, but if you don't get what you want, and you react poorly, that's only showing exactly what's in your heart, right? Ultimately, we need to always keep in mind how we would like to be spoken to. So wives, as you're speaking sweetly to your husband to get things, (laughs) um, just be considering that's how you would like him to speak to you. And husbands, you know, consider how would you like your wife to be speaking to you? Well, that's how you should be speaking to her. Matthew 7, 12, and everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. If we love others as we would want to be loved, including how we speak to them, we fulfill what Scripture commands regarding loving others. So when we are doing what we would have them do to us, we are fulfilling that part of the law and pleasing and honoring God is that is what we do when we obey His Word. So if that's what He's commanded us and we do it, then we are pleasing Him also. Our communication not only involves what we say. Often what we do communicates much more. Um, Our actions very often, if not always, speak louder than our words. So if we tell our spouse we love them and then go on acting in selfish ways, The proof is in the pudding, right? It's in what we do that the truth is known. This reminded me of Jesus' analogy regarding those who will be in the kingdom and those who will not in Matthew 21. He said, but what do you think? A man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then uh, the, the man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. So the first one who said he wouldn't, but then repented and actually did it, he was the one that did what was right. Or the one who said he would and did not do it, he was the one that was sinful and he would not be the one that would be in the kingdom. Now, I know that that, that's not the whole point of what Jesus was saying, but it is true what he, as far as thinking through the hypocrisy of it, really. Now, remember, we communicate love by action and attitude. 
being patient, kind, courteous, and not rude, selfless instead of self-seeking, not allowing ourselves to be provoked or reactionary, etc. We should also be telling our spouse, we should also be saying to our spouse that we love them, and regularly we should be saying that as well. Um, you know, it's not like that, what's that joke about the guy who said, I told you I loved you when we got married, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. You know, so you, you need to, we need to be saying it on a regular basis. Uh, but we also need to be, uh, it, but it actually plays out in the reality of our actions and the way we say things. So um, if we are serving and being sacrificial, that's going, to, that's going to either confirm what we've said about loving them or is going to be an example that we love them. Even if we don't even say it, they'll know our love by our deeds. Lou Priola pointed out, people who study, well, these are my words of what he said, people who study things like these say that nonverbal cues contribute about 55% of what we communicate to others. Sinful attitudes and thoughts show up in our countenance. What's in the heart often shows up on the face. In other words, the way we say things and the way we look when we say things matters. It's not just the words we say. We need to be very mindful of the way we come across when we say things. We all know that somebody can tell us something, and if the look on their face completely denies what they're saying, we're going to believe their face before we're going to believe what's coming out of their mouth, right? So we need to be careful of that when we are communicating to others as well. Um, some of us need to be more careful than others, I think. <clears throat> In other words, what we say and what we think should match. Does that mean we should only speak kindly when we feel like it? No. Uh, we talked about that when we went through emotions. Uh, remember, we do what is right, and often our feelings will follow. But we're still commanded to do what's right. We're commanded to speak right, we're commanded, or speak in a righteous way, I should say, and we're commanded to do that which is pleasing to God in all things, whether we feel like it or not. Of course, all those feelings and the things that we do, it's all driven by our reason in the end anyway, and whether that is renewed by God's Word. So Stuart Scott gives a list of nonverbal and extraverbal things to be careful about in this regard. The volume of our voice. So I have a tendency to start talking louder as I get excited about something. So I can be talking about something, and I'm not upset about it, but I sound like I'm upset about it because I'm talking louder. So I have to be careful sometimes about that. The tone of our voice, um, you know, you can say things in a very sarcastic way um, that you don't necessarily mean to be sarcastic, or maybe you did and you shouldn't have said it in the first place, but being careful about what you say, your facial expressions, hand gestures. You know, some of us probably couldn't talk if our hands were tied behind our back, right? Um, the Italians among us, right? You just can't talk with, without your hands. Um, but we need to be careful. You know, it's very easy even to dismiss what you're saying by the wrong hand gesture. I mean, you can just out of hand say something and it, it can come across the wrong way based on how you use your hands. Uh, sighing or snorting, rolling of the eyes, looks of amazement or disgust. These go, we talked about some of these in listening, right? Listening rightly, being careful to keep that eye contact and to respond rightly and to be controlled and intentional about the way you look when you're listening to people. Our body posture. So I'd like to finish with just a few practical uh, things to keep in mind in our communication. Stuart Scott relates two general principles for communication. We need to truly desire 
So we need to have that desire first to guard our mouth. So we need to have a desire to do so. Psalm 141.3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. So that's principle number one, or that's two, one, one general principle. Number two, if we guard our lips, we will avoid all kinds of trouble. So Proverbs 21.23, he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from trouble. So even if we're not doing it, which we should be, for the benefit of the other person, just keeping in mind that we're going to keep ourselves out of a lot of trouble ought to be a motivator because it's in Scripture telling us so. We need to keep in mind that guarding our mouth, lips, and tongue is accomplished primarily by guarding our heart. Proverbs 4.23, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. In our interactions with someone who is sinning in their communication, so if our spouse is sinning in the way they're talking to us, that does not give us license to sin in return. So that's where, that's where the argument and the conflict ends. One person is sinning in the things that they're saying or how they're saying it. The second person responds in a godly way and continues to respond in a godly way. No conflict. You have to have two people sinning in order to have that conflict, in order for the conflict to continue, I should say. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves that he not be wise in his own eyes. And finally, a great general rule to measure our communication by. So just an overarching thing to keep in mind. Colossians 4, 6, Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So what do we know about salt? We know salt makes stuff better. At least I think it makes stuff better. Uh, it makes stuff taste better. It enhances flavor. It creates thirst. So we want to speak in such a way that it's pleasant to hear and it leaves a person wanting more because it gives them grace. We want our spouses to want to talk to us. We want others to want to converse with us because we are giving grace and edifying them when we are speaking to them. And this gives us opportunity to reflect Christ, build others up, and encourage them to be like Christ also. And as this is what we desire for our spouses, we need to put in the work to make that happen. So let's pray.